Welcome back to the Perpetual Wealth Podcast, a show for clients of Paradigm Life. This season, we're empowering you to take control of your financial future using the core principles of the Perpetual Wealth Strategy. Now, before we dive in, a quick but essential disclaimer. While this podcast is primarily for our valued clients at Paradigm Life, it's open to anyone interested in enhancing their financial knowledge. However, please remember that our information should not be taken as a direct tax, legal, or financial advice. We strongly recommend consulting with a wealth strategist at Paradigm Life or your financial team before making any decisions based on our discussions. Today, we continue our journey into cash flow, protection, and wealth building, the foundational principles of the perpetual wealth strategy. Let's dive in and explore how to optimize your wealth and achieve financial independence. Your journey continues now. So it was probably 2009, 2010, and I distinctly remember uh, the office space because it was the the first office that we moved into as an organization after some pretty significant chaos. And and in walks this guy, and he had sent me a text, and he was at the time working for New York Life as a financial advisor. And fast forward almost 15 years, and here's Wade Reed. We're doing hey, a, a podcast about the perpetual wealth strategy, specifically focusing uh, this episode uh, on on cash flow. Uh, Wade uh, is an incredible wealth strategist at Paradigm Life. He's been here for almost two years. Uh, actually, three been, and a half. Holy cow! Check that, Pat. Holy cow! Than you think? Well, it's kind of like COVID. I think COVID messes with time. It does. Three and a half years. That's incredible. Yeah, because it was right before COVID. It was like yeah. right. Yeah, oh, I remember that. But Wade, now we're together, we're working together, and we're going to be doing a, a podcast for season three of the Perpetual Wealth Strategy podcast, specifically focusing this episode on uh, cash flow. Uh, but why don't you uh, take a moment and talk about what you've been up to? Like what, uh, what happened after we met in 2009, 2010? I can't remember the exact uh, year, uh, but tell us your story. Yeah, sure thing. Thanks, Pat. Thanks for letting me you know, join you for this little conversation about cash flow. Uh, I would push this back just a little bit further to 2005 because that's when I had this epiphany that my career path was not physical therapy. It was personal finance. And it just rocked my world because I, I had this little whisper come to me that year. I was in my undergraduate days. I was recently married. And I thought, I just need to take a personal finance class with my wife. And we both agreed to take this elective course. And in that course, I was like, holy cow, why are so many people clueless about money? And why am I not as clueless? Because it wasn't to say I was an expert at that point, but I wasn't as clueless as other people. And I thought, this is actually a really interesting space. I want to be here. And so we fast forward to 2009. I'm in life insurance. I had been in banking, uh, was seeking mentorship, was trying to find the right methodologies for financial success, was reading the books about cash flow, about living a life of passion, about finding the, the career path that's right for you, that sort of thing. So I knew I needed to be here. I knew that there was a big problem in the world around money and how emotionally taxing it was for those preparing for retirement, as well as those who were younger trying to just make ends meet. And I wanted to be an asset in that space to help people overcome a lot of the stresses that show up when you're dealing with life and money. And I was in it. 
right? I was in college. I had two children. I'd been married about five years by the time we met. And so since that point in time, I've been seeking mentorship from a lot of sources. And on our parallel path, right, we met in 2009, 2010, and then we were on parallel paths doing very similar things, very similar philosophies, but kind of lost track of each other for a while. Mm. But I'd been subtly checking in on your organization over the years to see where you were at, if you were still in doing the same types of things. And I always knew that if I changed my path a little bit from the path I was currently on at that point in time, mm. coaching small business owners, that I would likely make a shift and join forces because we were so aligned yep. from the very well, beginning. We saw similar gap. I think we, we've experienced similar gaps, right? It's the, it's the gap between you know, why people struggle, right? Yeah. And why don't ha- they don't have to struggle. Why don't there have to. are strategies out there, there are systems out there, there are solutions out there. But we just, you see in the financial services world, right, there's typically this myopic focus on one area or another. Yeah. And typically it's the area of investment, right? Mm-hmm. It's how can I get the highest return? And how, you know, can I position my assets here, here, in this account, in this account? And there's just so much more, there's so much more to, you know, a, a healthy financial life. And so yeah. uh, looking at how the perpetual wealth strategy has evolved over the years, okay, it has aligned. We Our, our philosophies in a sense have aligned. And, you know, you, you bring, I would say, a, a more holistic approach uh, to wealth building. Because obviously at Paradigm Life, you know, our focus was, was a financial product, right? Still right. is, right? It's, right? it's a core financial product, right, that plays so many different roles in finance, okay? And now what we've done is, you know, we're obviously experiencing clients, experiencing that gap, like finding, you know, where people are making mistakes uh, and you know, hurting themselves financially and figuring out ways, right, to provide solutions, whether it's in the form of education, product or service, or other tools like technology. Uh, But you experienced, I would say, uh, for a number of years, working with our friend Garrett Gunderson at Wealth Factory, right, and experiencing kind of the the nature of holistic uh, financial strategy and wealth strategy. So what you bring to the table uh, isn't just like stuff that you regurgitate from a book, but it's like literal experiences with clients, yeah, I mean, right? To, and the challenges that they face outside of the specific, you know, financial product world. Yeah, absolutely. And and to give proper context to that, over nine years from 2010 to 2019, I had a chance to work with over 700 clients. And most financial advisors over their entire lives may work with 700 to 1,000 over 30 to 40 years. I did that over nine and we worked very, very comprehensively with this client base, uh, almost exclusively business owners. And part of the reason for that particular group was because the, the nature of their problems were the same and yet a little more advanced. And there was a need for more complex planning at, at times because of the holistic nature of a business owner. Right? You've got your, your business revenues intermixed with your personal revenues. You don't have a personal financial life without a business life, so we have to get the business figured out. The entity structure's got to be right, the tax structure's got to be right. Um, And not just the business entity structure, but the asset protection pieces, which we'll probably talk about on another episode. But you've got to have estate planning in place. And sometimes there's more sophisticated planning there that is necessary for some versus others. So I developed this really broad spectrum of knowledge and often more depth in that area than many other advisors could get because of just the sheer number of people I got to work with to take them through a process that they had hired us to take them through. And that's pretty rare in the financial services industry to have people take you, sorry, hire you, yep, pay you a fee, you take you through a process. process as opposed to just sell you something. Yep. And uh, it's because of that that as I work with my clients, I have the perspective 
of the critical nature of cash flow and having liquidity sources. Because as you mentioned earlier, crises financially are generally and almost exclusively cash flow. And cash flow is often a function of illiquid assets. Yep. Money stuck in businesses, money stuck in qualified plans that we're so fearful to get out when those crises happen that we end up in debts, which is a negative cash flow. So cash flow, how do we define, let's, let's start. We, obviously in the introductory, introductory episode, we talked about you know, kind of the fundamentals and what cash flow means. But in your eyes, like what is cash flow? How do you, how do you define that? So cash flow is what's coming into your personal life that then gets to be used based on your priorities and your values to live, right? You're going to pay your bills from your mortgage or your rent to your utilities to the play and, and memories that you're trying to create for yourself and your family if you've got one. So what's healthy cash flow? Healthy cash flow is one that is net positive. I mean, sometimes we confuse ourselves in the financial space. What's net versus gross? Net is what's left after the expenses. So a net positive cash flow means that you're, you're in profit. You have more left over at the end of the month than what you started with at the beginning of the month or week or whatever time frame you're measuring mm-hmm. it within. But you've got to have more left over in order to have a healthy cash flow. And I think he- it's interesting. I think there's so many parallels in, in life to what is healthy. Uh, but from like a physical body, right? It's like, you know, if you don't if you don't burn the calories you consume, what happens? Disease, disease, right? Mm-hmm. Becoming full of disease. Our body mm-hmm. actually accumulates mm-hmm. bad health over time, and it turns into particular manifestations of diabetes or heart disease or uh, high blood pressure, cholesterol, and all these kinds of things that mm-hmm. are. Uh, we could mitigate that. We don't have to have those things. Most of us do not have a genetic propensity to get those diseases. They are built based on a few bad disciplines that we engage in every day as opposed to the opposite of a few good disciplines that mm-hmm. we engage in every day and accumulate health. I'm going to tell you a quick story on that. I, I hired a trainer uh, probably eight to nine years ago. And when I went in for the first visit, he said, let me tell you a story. And he told me a story of a guy who had come in and said, hey, Rob, I want you to train me over the next six months to be a world-class rower. I want to be able to win gold medals at the Olympics. And my trainer said, dude, you are up in the night. In order to get that good, you accumulate that physical potential and capability over years, sometimes decades. And you want to do it in six months? It's not going to happen. We just can't do that physically. It's accumulated. Mm. And I would suggest the same thing is true about financial health. And I was going to go to another example, which is like a, like a ecosystem, right? Whether it's a, a forest or a rainforest, okay, in an ecosystem, it's the same thing, right? If the energy that's, that's being produced versus being consumed, right, is a negative, the ecosystem is going to die, right? right? Uh, and if it's positive, it's going to continue to grow. So I think right. there's, there's parallels. But the, what we're trying to say with regards to cash flow, without a healthy cash flow, okay, with that being the tip of the spear, the first domino, it's going to cascade into a lot of other negative impact. Absolutely. Right? It and it's going to affect wealth building. It's going to uh, affect the way you deal with unexpected events that happen in life. Okay. And ultimately, when it comes to those unexpected events, if you have, I would say, unhealthy cash flow, typically the decision that's going to be made in those circumstances may not be uh, in your favor. So let's, let's, let's kind of start with. Uh, again, the gap we were speaking about before, which is most people realize that. They realize, okay, if I spend more than I make, that's not good, okay? If 
um, I, you know, just save a, a tiny bit. I'm not really protecting my financial future. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the statistics show, like people, the majority of people are living paycheck to paycheck, right? It's by far. Even though I would say most people recognize, okay, in order to be healthy, I have to uh, produce more than I consume, right? Produce more energy than I consume. Okay, same thing in an ecosystem, same thing in finance. So let's talk about what the typical approach is, which is budgeting. Why doesn't budgeting work? I mean, it works for some people, but I would say... It does work for some people. Yeah. I, and, and sometimes it's the frame of mind that we're in when we think about what that is. More often than not, when we think of budget, we've been trained to believe it's restrictive. And what I've seen happen is when people... In fact, this happened for me early on, particularly, was I would try to know exactly how much was coming in, which was actually always almost, almost always uncertain. So because I didn't know exactly how, was, how much was coming in, I couldn't know exactly how much was going to go out because there were some variable expenses in there. I knew what my rent was going to be. Uh, food was approximately the same. There were some insurances that were the same. Right? But there's this differentiation between what's fixed and what's variable, and it's that variable stuff. That's, it messes you up. That's emotionally charged. Yeah. Right? The fun activity that somebody invites you to go do that you didn't plan for. And if you didn't have the foresight in your budget to set aside money for that, then you have this guilt show up, like, should I or shouldn't I do this? You know, am I destroying my retirement future by taking this fun activity on the spot? And because there's a misunderstanding about um, the need for emotional spending, like we're just designed as human beings to need some variety. Yep. And so if we don't build that in, it becomes that sense of restriction comes in. It's like, well, I'm giving up an opportunity to spend time with friends or family. Mm-hmm. And then that feels like a loss and it feels, it just feels painful emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, let's get to that because I... So looking at budgeting, right? Budgeting is based around the idea of restriction, right? It's yeah. like you have a, a certain amount. And I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying this is the way that it is. But when something is restricting, people don't like being restricted, no. right? People like freedom. People like flexibility. They like to be in control of their decisions, right? So that's budgeting. Now, looking at how we frame, I would say, healthy cash flow, we look at spending strategy versus budgeting. So what's, how would you differentiate the two? So, I mean, just look at the context, right? A budget just feels restrictive. A spending strategy sounds and feels proactive. Mm-hmm. It's a choice. I'm choosing into this particular way of doing things, mm-hmm. designing deliberately in there some flexibility to it and some buffer space for dealing with the uncertainties that will show up, the spontaneous opportunity that arises that you can just say, you know what, I've got some cash for that. I'm going for it. Or that emergency pops up, I've got to pay for uh, an expense. I can handle that because mm-hmm. I've built that in. It's a spending strategy. Now, there's, there's this function as well, though, around saving, setting money aside for the future that often attempts to be built into a spending strategy, but it is often not effective because of the order of how we do things. Hmm. Have you noticed that too, Pat? I have. So let's talk about that order. I mean... I think budgeting and most savings, at least how I was conditioned, right, is you save what's left over in a sense. Right. Okay. You pay all the bills, you go out to eat, variable expenses, fixed expenses, and save what's left over. Okay. Yeah. Spending strategy. If there's anything left over. If there's anything left over. Right. And that's the thing is like the, the, the quicker society evolves, the more stuff there is to spend money on. There's an infinite amount of stuff to spend money, to spend money on. It's unsatiable appetite yeah. for consume. So looking at spending consume. strategy, how we frame it is shifting that order, like you mentioned, 
right? Um, and there's a lot of different evidence here. There's a, there's a cool book that came out a number of years ago called uh, Profit First. It's for more smaller businesses. Uh, but Barbara, Barbara Corcan, you know, one of the, the, the sharks on Shark Tank, uh, came out with an article recently that was fascinating. She basically said, like, I don't save anything. I spend everything. But if you read between the lines, what she did is she set aside money uh, first. The order was setting aside money for saving an investment first and then spending everything else. Right. And so mm. I think it's it's it seems like it's the same thing, but it's not. The order is different because, again, I go to the human beings, uh, uh, you know, we're designed to consume. We have a propensity to consume everything. It's biological. Right. It's in our caveman days. Right. When when there was food like we had to eat it because it may not be there tomorrow. A lot of that animal instinct is still mm. inside of us. So we have this like I would say dopamine rush from spending money on Amazon, spending money on uh, you know, Apple spending money on going out to eat, spending money. There, I mean, there's so much stuff to buy, right? And we don't realize that biologically we get a dopamine rush, a dopamine hit that reinforces. It's a reward system yep. that gives us that like, ooh, I feel good, but it's not healthy because you end up spending more than you make. Yeah. And, and there is, there are some hacks or tricks that we've learned about how to shift the dopamine hit from the spending behavior to the uh, future wealth building behavior of saving and investing. And what we know is when we shift the order of things, and what I've often taught my clients is that if you will save everything first into a separate account that's not your bill pay account, Literally every single dollar that comes in from business activities, from W-2 income, from investment income, from interest earnings, all goes not to your spending account, but to a separate account that's not, you're not spending anything out of that account. Suddenly you're like, oh, everything that I've earned is mine. I've done some really good things for people. I've solved problems. I've created value. And my employer is rewarding me for that. My customers are rewarding me for that. I get to keep all this money first and decide what matters to me most. Mm -hmm. And what happens is if you have that spending strategy or plan in place, you only move what you need to into that bill pay account and everything automatically stays in there. And you know, like that's, cash the, that's where you spend. That's this all I have spend to spend. Yep. It's like cash in the pocket. I can only spend what's in my pocket. I can only spend what's in that bill pay account. And only in rare circumstances where a life event happens, it was kind of unexpected or a new opportunity shows up that was unplanned. Yep. We can evaluate that according to our values and priorities in life and go, okay, I'm going to move deliberately some money out of that other account into this so that I can make that expenditure or that investment or uh, pay that, um, that bill or give for, for that matter, yep. you know, give generously, which a lot of my clients have always said they want to do, but it's the last thing that they actually do. Mm -hmm. It's shocking. Because if it becomes a part of your spending plan, it just happens. And well, you I'll, get go, that too. I'll, go, I'll tell a personal story. Again, what, what we're trying to, to say here is, uh, obviously, this podcast is for, is for clients of, of Paradigm Life. Uh, you can, of course, go to uh, our website. We have the, the two tools I mentioned on the introduction, uh, WealthView360 and the Hierarchy of Wealth. These are self-evaluation tools, so you can really get a pulse on where you are financially. There's also... Uh, some strategic partner references in there. We have a couple tools from a cash flow perspective. They're mostly technology tools that will allow you to incorporate uh, this new order of cash flow. Uh, so if you find yourself saying, "Why don't we have any money at the end of the month?" <laughs> right? This, you know, this is a conversation for you. And like I said, go to uh, paradigmlife.net, log in as a client. Uh, if you don't have 
uh, a login. There's uh, some links on there where you can request access to this new technology platform that we have. Uh, but these are uh, tools to self-evaluate to see where your health is from a financial perspective. Yeah. But getting back to uh, this story, you know, my, my Cynthia grew up in like a, my wife grew up in a, like a cinder block home in the middle of a really uh, rough area of mm -hmm. uh, Sonora, Mexico. And it, I mean, they had, they, she never had birthday parties. Like she uh, got Christmas maybe once every three or four years, like Christmas presents. Wow. So really, really impoverished circumstances. And, you know, then she moves to the United States. We, we get married. And so now it's, it's, it's so much different. But if you look at what was built into kind of her uh, habits when it comes to finance, right? When money was there, you spent it because you didn't know if money was going to come the yeah. next month. Now, even though that wasn't our, it isn't our circumstances, it's part of how she was wired. And so when I learned a, a lot of this, okay, we incorporated it immediately. And so, because what would end up happening is just like spending money on the kids here. And it was all the kids. It was really her, even though there's some, you know, shoes that just appeared out of nowhere every once in a while. <laughs> but you had a lot of stuff for the kids. They went here, yeah. they did this activity, they did this. And it was kind of getting out of control because it's obviously mm -hmm. if money went into a bank account that you spent from and you're designed and biologically wired to consume everything that's there, okay, you know, there was a lot of money that was spent. So the cash flow system that we set up was, okay, all income, all bonuses, all profit goes into this kind of central reservoir account. Mm -hmm. And then there are spending accounts for you and spending accounts for me. And we have permission to spend it all. But when it's gone, there's no more money to spend and yeah. then you stop spending. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that was the story. Again, it's, it's, it, if you really understand the biology, your biology and, and not, no, no one is really uh, exempt from this, but if you understand that we're designed to consume and if you recognize that cash flow is a very important component of your financial health, having a system that is set up with the understanding okay, that we're biologically designed to consume, but we're also biologically designed not to, uh, you know, essentially be forced to do something or feel restricted, like budgeting. Coming up with a strategic spending plan is the ideal solution. It is. It works extremely well. I'll give you a quick case in point. One of my clients uh, several years ago was in a dental business, and we evaluated his financial circumstances. And we're like, dude, you've got a business producing $1.5 million a year in revenue. It's netting you about three hundred to five hundred thousand a year. You've got one point three million dollars sitting on four hundred one k. Why do you have one point five million dollars in debt? And he didn't have a good answer. He's like, "Life's just happening. I've got a mortgage. I've got a business uh, loan. I've got vehicles. I've got um, just obligations." I'm like, "Well, why are you really doing that?" I don't know why it's come up. Well, can I make a suggestion? Have you noticed that your balance in your 401k is very similar to what you have in loans? Like, no. Like, do you think it's possible that you've shifted your liquidity away from you as a business owner? You're doing something right, for sure, setting money aside for your future. There's no doubt he was doing something right for yeah. his future. But he was doing so in such a method that it was creating scarcity in his mindset. And it was causing some behavior where his loans were never paid off. And even if they were... They weren't for long because the behavior was to spend, spend, spend. It was just a behavior. And I said, well, let's just try this out, this method we've been talking about. Let's set up a separate account. Let's put all of your income through that first. And within a couple of months, he's like, wait, I've got 75 grand sitting here. I've never had that much cash that's liquid and available to me. 
And he was so excited about it. Like that dopamine hit you were talking about before that we get from spending, he mm-hmm. was getting that from setting money aside that was liquid and available so that he could take advantage of opportunities and have the peace of mind knowing that if a life event happened, he didn't have to pull money out of his 401k. He didn't have to take on new debt. He just mm-hmm. had money to pay for it's it. It's amazing. He had a huge amount in his retirement accounts, right? But then that relatively smaller amount was what gave him yes. you know, such excitement. And, and if, that, if those numbers are bigger than yours, don't worry about it. It's yeah. the same overall behavior. You know, take them down by oh, relative, yeah. uh, a, a digit on either end, and you're making 150 a year, and you're netting out 30 to 50, yep. right? It doesn't matter so much how much you have coming in. It's just the behavior around those dollars that matters above anything else. Yep. So we look at an ideal, like one of our ideal targets as wealth strategists is to look at about 20%. So living off of about 80% right. of your income. Okay, and that is very, very healthy. And obviously right. getting you know, to that point may take uh, some strategy. It may take working with your wealth strategists. It may take you know, just some conversations with, uh, with your spouse or your partner. Okay, but ultimately getting to that point um, is possible. Okay, now once you're there, just saving isn't saving that percentage of your income uh, is enough. Okay, reserves are also important. Wade had mentioned, right, that we have these unexpected expenses, variable mm-hmm. expenses. They could be, you know, subtle. It could be a little bit more because of a vacation. Could it be a little bit more because, you know, maybe you went out to eat for an anniversary. But you could have a medical emergency. Right. You could have, you know, a. Uh, a car accident, you could have something with kids. Okay, there are some significant expenses that I feel are probably inevitable for people. So having between three to six months of liquidity, okay, uh, is uh, is vital in order to buffer uh, the valleys, right, of cash flow. Absolutely, it's such such a helpful thing. And I often have gotten the question and thought myself about why three to six? Why is there a range? Why isn't it just three? Or why isn't it just six? Or in some cases, maybe you need a twelve months. What I've come to understand about how job losses work or transitions work is if you're a single income household, six months is the right amount because if that's all that's coming in is from one income earner, you might need up to six months to replace your skill set or find a new employer. But if you have two income earners, only one of you might be out of work for three months and then you can deal with that. So you might only need three months if you have a two income earner household. If you are a single income, six. If you're a business owner, probably closer to 12. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And, and I, would, I would say there's some guidelines, okay? But this really goes to the circle. If it's a new business, for sure. If it's a seasonal business, for sure. Yeah. If it's a business that has really good accounts receivables and collections, you know, you, you may get away with three or six, okay? It just, it really depends. Uh, but ultimately, I would say more is uh, is better, especially in the beginning, until you have your cash flow system down, your right. spending strategy down, uh, because excess cash has a big opportunity cost because of interest it could earn. Right. Okay? And so what I would say, and this is usually the approach we take, is obviously having cash, cash in a bank and a money market account, okay, is is ideal for maybe those three to six months. But then obviously having your tier one capital, which we talk about in the hierarchy of wealth, mm-hmm. we promote uh, cash value, right, is a very liquid 
uh, position where you can gain access with no penalty, right, yeah. to liquidity, but you have good returns, right, that are superior to bank returns, some tax efficiency and other benefits as well. Yep. So it's it's really again, it's it's a it's a massaging. There aren't there aren't these like you know definitive guidelines. That's where again, working with your wealth strategist, having a spending strategy first, right, and then evaluating it every so often. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I I really like that comment about. And you didn't say it exactly, but it's optimization, right? We're not just storing it under the mattress, this liquidity. We're keeping some of it really close to home in a bank account, but then we might look at more efficient places to store that money that's still safe, mm -hmm. such as cash value life insurance, um, brokerage accounts that are safe in a money market that's not invested in the market itself, right? We want to maintain the liquidity and the safety and the control. And if we can get growth and tax advantages, those are kind of bonus things at this level. Yep but they give us such peace of mind that there's what we call an external rate of return. It's not what's earning inside the account that matters. It's what the peace of mind allows for. So you can be more effective as a father, as a mother, as, a, as an employee, as an employer. And those external rates of return allowing you to be better at what you do brings in more income than it's costing you to just sit there. That opportunity cost that's quantifiable in bank accounts is less quantifiable when we look at all the other things that we get to do and that we would choose into because we have that in place. Yep. And I'd invite all of you guys to like consider that. Just consider what the value of cash is in your capabilities, in your choices in life. And I will venture to bet my life's wealth, like literally all of it, that if, if you have cash and liquidity, you're much more likely to take advantage of opportunities than if you're restricted and almost all solely in debt. Mm. Well, I so as we kind of wrap up this first this first episode on cash flow, I, I would say the perpetual wealth strategy is about achieving the highest quality of life, right? And yes. life isn't tomorrow. Life is right, right. Life is right now, okay. And it's just a series of nows. But that's that's what everyone is after. And the quality of life is not quantifiable, right? Quality of life, right, is just something you feel. It's something you experience. But I have experienced both in my life and also the life of you know numerous clients financial stress. And when you have yes. financial stress, your quality of life, okay, it affects the relationships with your kids, with your wife, with your uh, business associates, with your clients, with your employer. I mean, the list is endless, right? So it's mm -hmm. about achieving the highest quality of life strategically, even though life is dynamic and it's always going to be changing. Yeah. So cash flow again is, is vital because what ends up happening is if you don't have a cash flow system, a cash flow strategy, a spending strategy, Okay, when those variable expenses come up, you resort to credit cards. When credit cards run out, okay, that forces typically bankruptcy, yep. right? It's inevitable we are going to experience volatility in life, period. But you can buffer those with a good cash flow strategy. Yeah. I think there's also a, just a healthy respect for self when we're managing our cash flow because the only reason we have cash flow is because we've solved problems for somebody. And the dollars are a temporary holding place for that value that we've created for other people. Mm -hmm. And if we don't recognize that is true, then often we're lazy about it and we're wasteful about it. Mm -hmm. And we don't really appreciate the fact that those dollars are a function of who I am as a person mm -hmm. and what I'm delivering to the world that's valuable. So when we manage our cash flow, we're actually managing self-energy and self-love yeah. and self-appreciation and recognizing that we as individuals are valuable and we deserve to have some of that money available for life's events, for lifestyle choices, and for future opportunities that we might be looking forward to. Well, I'll end, I'll end with this, which is when you, have, when you have healthy cash flow and you 
achieve the, a higher quality of life, having liquidity, the guy, the $75,000 in his bank account, right? Having no, no credit card debt. Okay. The, the feeling that it gives you actually accelerates the understanding that, yeah, you have value, you produce value and get uh, compensated financially yeah. from that. What it does is it, it allows you to achieve more, right? When you show yes. up to work, right, with a high quality of life and a higher degree of certainty and confidence and less stress, okay, you produce more. And that presents opportunities, whether it's, you know, with your employer, maybe it's another opportunity, yeah. right? Because again, the sky's the limit as far as what we can produce as human beings. I mean, our society today is proof of that, right? People right. make millions of dollars off of YouTube channels, like doing the random things. <laughs> I know, it's right? crazy. So it's one of those things like the sky's the limit. At the same time, mindset is everything, right? Yeah, and is. healthy cash flow puts you in that right mindset to capitalize on opportunities that are probably all around you. Yeah, or give up the stresses that are taking away your life's energy. Because if you hate what you do, but you feel stuck because your cash flow is, is minimal and you're maybe in debt, if you can shift your mindset to be in a place of cash flow positive and have some cash in the bank, then mm -hmm. you can actually have the choice to leave that environment yeah. and choose into something you prefer. And shift somewhere else yeah. with confidence. With confidence. All right, everyone, you guys are awesome. Thank you for listening to, uh, to this, uh, this episode on cash flow. Uh, remember, we have some self-evaluation tools now for Paradigm Life clients. You can go over to ParadigmLife.net uh, and check out Wealthview 360, which is essentially a digital dashboard that has your entire financial life on one page. Uh, and then also the Hierarchy of Wealth, which is a tool that we have uh, promoted for several years. And now we have a digital tool so that you can organize uh, your assets and really see you know, where uh, there's opportunities to achieve maximum growth and returns. Uh, with the least amount of risk. So again, go over to paradigmlife.net uh, and look for the client section. And if you do not have an account, it will prompt you to create one uh, as a client. Uh, and if you have an account already, these are some new tools that we have just uh, developed that are now live. Uh, so go check it out. And also uh, we have show notes, all the links uh, to whether it's uh, the website. We've also uh, talked about a couple of books here. Uh, you can go uh, visit the show notes and uh, there'll be links there. And I uh, look forward to uh, seeing you back on the next episode. Thanks, Pat. Thanks, Wade.